You know, you know what DraftKings should do, Ben? Hmm. They should run a contest trolling FanDuel about their live scoring mishap. Now, I don't know what the name of it would be. Maybe something like like a 100K red zone uh, with live scoring, something like that. Uh, $5 entry or $3 entry, have it, have it be a low buy-in to get all of the disgruntled, uh, FanDuel users that are gonna come over to DraftKings this week. Get them in some of these high prize tournaments. So that's what they should do. Instead of a GPP, like a GPOT, get paid on time. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And they just troll them. And I'm telling you, it would go viral in the fantasy community. Now, I think DraftKings is, I don't think they're a stand-up company due to some (laughs) of the stuff that happened last year. But, you know, they they could uh, get a good laugh if they did something like that, which would be pretty funny in my opinion. And it would would get some clout. Yeah, but... I think what DraftKings should do right now is just like not even play down to their level. Like they're already the superior company. Just let FanDuel keep messing up and fizzle out into non-existence until DraftKings just owns the market, which feels inevitable at this point. Yeah, I mean, not a big FanDuel guy myself. I usually only play on FanDuel for MLB, but I think DraftKings is a superior platform in every sense uh, with the scoring, with the UI, and just the functionality of the app. And they usually never have any mishaps in terms of live scoring and whatnot. And, you know, FanDuel just made a huge mistake. No, they probably they put the blame on their scoring provider or whatever, but get a better scoring provider. Come on now. You're a multi-billion dollar company. These things should not be happening. Let's let's get real here. Yeah, I mean, I've got I've got two takes about this. The first, you know, I thought back to the other night after I busted you in the boys in poker standard, I mean, to be expected. But after that, you know, I, I had a hankering for some Taco Bell, you know, went out, got some fast food. Later that night, ended up shitting my brains out. I wasn't mad at Taco Bell. You know, I was mad at myself for going to, you know, what I knew to be a suboptimal establishment. And that's how I feel about the people who are getting mad going to FanDuel right now. It's like you kind of knew what you were doing. Like you could have gone to DraftKings, played your DFS with the superior company, and you chose not to. So yeah, like things are things like this are going to happen. My other take is that you see guys like Empire Maker, right? One of the most famous, well-established, highest grossing DFS players in the business talking about bringing, you know, like a legal suit to FanDuel about this, which a lot of people are like supporting that. But to me, that is that would be a huge mistake. Like that could re... That could like re-energize the negative stigmas around DFS and you know lawmakers don't want to see this stuff they don't want to see like companies like this getting into scandals so you know as for us in a state like New York where it took them four or five weeks to get the XFL up and running because the you know the laws are so strict you know we don't want to see things get rolled back so I, I personally hope that this can get resolved without legal issue that's the one way that I see this being seriously bad for DFS players is if this starts getting on like, you know, the attorney generals of various states radars. Yeah. Shout out to New York. Terrible state to live in in terms of gambling. So I I definitely see where you're coming from with that. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 97 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we're going to break down the entire 
week six NFL main slate from a DFS perspective. We're going to take a look at slate specifics and what Vegas is telling us. We'll take a look at some of the chalk, give our thoughts on cash game lineup construction, tournament leverage and stacks. Finally, we'll close out the show with some best bets of the week. But before we do any of that, Joey, can you tell the people how to support the podcast? You can support the podcast by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. That's where we tweet everything out. And that's the easiest way to see when we post a new video, new article, or whatever it may be. And then if you're listening to this, you're probably listening on, you know, whatever podcast platform you use. So make sure you are subscribed or followed on whatever site you are listening to this on, whether that be Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, etc. Just make sure you are subscribed or followed. Uh, it helps us out a lot, so we really appreciate that. And then as always, you could check out our YouTube channel at the DFS Dose. It's growing daily, daily clips, videos from Ben and myself that come out every single Wednesday and Friday. So make sure you're subscribed over there. And that is the best way to support the DFS dose. Yes. Let's dive into some slate specifics before we get into our Vegas notes. Like we usually do. I just wanted to bring up one quick thing and that was, you know, DraftKings. as much as we were hyping them up during the uh, open there, they had an issue this week too, uh, where their slate went down after initially being up because of how the NFL shook up the entire slate of games and they re-released their slate. So in a few very specific instances on the Tuesday through Sunday slate, the same players in the same games had different price tags than you'll see on the main slate. One prime example is Alexander Madison, who we'll talk about quite a bit in this show. On Tuesday through Sunday, he was only 6200 That's the price that he was supposed to be, but you know, DraftKings got a few more days to think about it, and they were like, you know what, that's actually way too low price considering Dalvin Cook's doubtful. They jacked him up to 7200 which he is on the main slate now. And I just bring this up to say, you know, if this is something that we see happening again and again throughout the season, this is a spot to, you know, reserve contests with a dummy lineup and get exposure to a certain player's production at a cheaper price. That's just a clear cut edge. I mean, you know, if I'm getting even $100 of action in cash games on Alexander Madison at $1,000 cheaper, I mean, that's just pure value. It is what it is. So, you know, I, I got in a bunch of double ups for that Tuesday through Sunday slate. Haven't made the lineup yet. I just put a bunch of random players in there, but I know that I'll be able to get exposure to Alexander Madison, who will be a you know a super high-owned popular cash play on the main slate for cheaper on that smaller slate. So that's just something that I wanted to, you know, make the listeners aware of and, and give them a heads up. Try and get try and do that if this happens again throughout the season, which I think is pretty likely considering the tenuous state and, and the way COVID's impacting the NFL on a weekly basis. Yeah, we could definitely see it happen, you know, as soon as next week, knowing these NFL teams and their breaking protocols every single week. So definitely an edge there. And, you know, my donkey self, I didn't reserve any contest. So don't be like me, be like Ben listeners. Absolutely. Now let's get into the Vegas notes. This is an 11 game main slate with nine early games and only two games in the afternoon. Big bummer there, you know, like to see a, a beefier afternoon slate, but only two this week. And, you know, originally when I looked at this slate, I thought it was a pretty ugly ugly slate. I've come around to it. I'm starting to find it to be pretty interesting, but you know, when I say ugly, I mean, you know, there's no Chiefs, no no Cowboys, no Cardinals, no Saints, no Seahawks, no Bills. It's just some of the best offenses in the NFL. A lot of the best offenses in the NFL are not on this slate, so we're going to have to dig into some other, you know, maybe a little more uncomfortable spots to find our plays this week, but still there are 5 games with totals above 
50. However, no team total above 30. The top five implied team totals on the slate in order. Minnesota, number one with 29. Miami, 28.75. Detroit, 28.5. Tennessee at 28. And Green Bay at 28. What stands out to you on this slate from a Vegas perspective? Yeah, so obviously there are more low-scoring games than high-scoring games this week. And you touched on it. It is an ugly week. And I know you said you've came around to it. Well, I still think it's pretty ugly, but I think this is one of the weeks where if you can find an edge, whether that, you know, be exploiting a player's price or making stands on certain players that you believe have a path uh, to more opportunity, you can see larger profit margins just due to the slate and the context around the slate, especially if you're a knowledgeable DFS player and you have a good process. So I'm looking forward to this slate um, because I have confidence in myself to make solid tournament lineups and make a solid cash lineup this week. All right. Um, well, we might as well just jump right into the chalk talk. Joey, uh, this is another week where I think that the chalk at running back is going to be pretty consolidated around a few guys. Uh, the first one, we might as well get into it because we've already brought him up a few times, and that's Alexander Madison. Dalvin Cook, extremely in question, doubtful to play in this game against the Falcons, and the Vikings are you know, sitting in this spot with a game total of 54 and a half, the highest implied team total on the slate at 29. And Alexander Madison came in after Dalvin Cook went out midway through the Seahawks game and he tore it up. Mm -hmm. So I think that he got priced up extremely high, especially when DraftKings had a few extra days to do it. But at 7,200, I still think that he profiles as one of the guys who's going to just garner a ton of ownership this week. Yeah, Alexander Madison is definitely going to be one of the higher owned running backs on this slate, and rightfully so. He checks every box that we want in a running back that we roster on DraftKings. He's a home favored running back on the on a team with the highest implied team total. He has receiving upside going up against one of the worst, if not the worst, defense against uh receiving running backs, and he has touch upside. He has touch opportunity with Delvin Cook doubtful for this game. So he's going to slot in as the starter and he's one of the best backups in the league. And this is a matchup where Alexander Madison should feast on this Falcons defense. And we should note that Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator pre Dan Quinn getting fired, was promoted as the interim head coach. So the defensive scheme shouldn't change, right? In theory, which means Madison is going to absolutely feast on this terrible Falcons defense that is also dealing with numerous injuries to players at all levels of their defense. So just a smash spot for Madison all around. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be my priority play in that price range. But another guy that's going to be very popular is Derrick Henry. I think that you're a little more bullish on him than I. So I will uh, I'll let you handle this one. Derrick Henry on DraftKings 7,300. Yeah, I mean, Derrick Henry, the big dog. What is not to like about Derrick Henry? He's a big physical running back. He's at home, favored against the Texans. The Texans are the worst run defense in the NFL as it stands up to this point, giving up over 800 rushing yards total on the ground to opposing running backs. So this is just a matchup where Derrick Henry is going to absolutely rumble and stumble on the Texans run defense. He's going to get 25 touches 
guaranteed 100% mark my words there is no shot he gets under 25 touches he does have some limitations in the receiving game out of the backfield but if he gets three catches I think that's perfectly fine and I think the optimal route if you want to play the most optimal lineup it is going to include Derrick Henry and Alexander Madison how do you feel about that I feel like that's incorrect Honestly, I think that there's so many good running back plays. I'm not saying that I won't end up on Henry, but Henry hasn't even played on over 75% of snaps yet in a game this year. I mean, this man is losing legitimate playing time passing down to work. Jeremy he's McNichols. Losing, he's losing passing down work to Jeremy McNichols. You are they right. They had Darrington Evans it doesn't in there matter about night against the Bills before he got hurt. Darrington Evans was taking some first and second down snaps, not, not third downs, not third and longs. He was up there gunning through the defense on the ground <laughs> and he looked damn good doing it they also had that game in control against the bills on tuesday right but the thing with derrick henry is it doesn't matter about his snap percentage it matters about how many touches they are giving him per game he is one of the top three running backs in terms of touches per game you want that opportunity in your lineups so you just want to jam in as many touches as you can and while i do agree that there are great plays at the running back position especially 6k and under i think the gap between derrick henry and those guys is way uh wider than other people might think so that's just my take on it I'll give a more in-depth take when we get to cash game lineup construction because there's some team-specific stuff that I think makes me less uh, eager to play Derrick Henry this week. And, I mean, I'll be honest, you know, I've been playing the chalk at running back pretty much all year in cash, and and I think I'm going to be real different this week because David Montgomery is another guy that I'm just not eager to play at all, and I think that he'll probably come in as the third highest owned running back behind these two guys or at least be in that discussion. Uh, are you feeling bullish on Montgomery this week? Yeah, I think Montgomery is a solid play at 5,800 uh, on the road against Carolina, but they are underdogs in this game. And like I just said, they are on the road, which uh, hurts David Montgomery stock. Nick Foles hasn't been good. He's been barely better than Mitch Trubisky. So I think this is a spot where the Panthers are going to control the game. Uh, which means the Bears are going to be down. But David Montgomery has seen six targets minimum in the last two games, and he got that boost ever since Tariq Cohen uh, tore his ACL and, and is out for the season. So he does have some receiving upside, and the Panthers' defense still gives up a lot of touchdowns to running backs, and they are also a bottom 10 run defense in terms of yards allowed. So I don't mind David Montgomery at 5,800, but I could see why some people might not play him mainly because he is not versatile or athletic have you seen those tweets yeah he is not versatile he's not athletic he's not that good he can't make people yeah he can't make people miss and some people just call him a scrub and he, he might be road underdog in a game with a 45 point total 22 point implied total for the bears i just think that there's better plays i mean miles gaskin is cheaper i mean We'll get to that in terms of cash game lineup construction, but that's going to be something I'm all over this week, especially if it's, you know, coming into the third of the ownership. Absolutely. But let's talk about some of the chalky wide receivers. I think there's going to be a few guys that stand above the others in terms of the ownership that they garner. And one of them is another Tennessee Titan. That's AJ Brown, who looked really, really strong in his uh, return against the Bills this week. AJ Brown looked really good against the Bills. 
uh, although they were missing their top two cornerbacks in Trey White and Levi Wallace. But he did play on 66 out of 75 snaps uh, returning from that knee injury and had a 32% target share with some of the other Titans wide receivers out due to COVID. And DraftKings just, they just clear cut mispriced him for this slate. He's 5,600. And this is a grown ass man that we're rostering uh, on DraftKings for this week. So he's going to be one of, if not the highest owned wide receiver in a pretty solid matchup at home against the Texans. And I think this is a spot where a lot of the Titans are going to be in play uh, for week six. Yeah, I mean, he's only played in two games so far this season, but he hasn't had under eight targets. A.J. Brown, I don't understand this price tag at all, especially going up against Houston. I mean, all all the A.J. Brown this week. I, it was honestly so tilting because I had him in my captain in a few showdown lineups at like 4%, and he had seven for 82 early in the third quarter didn't get another catch the rest of the way i I mean come on getting cucked by 18 yards for the 100 yard bonus in a big spot hate to see it (laughs) yeah i mean they controlled that game so there was no need for him to uh get any more catches yeah speaking of uh the lions project to be in control of their game against jacksonville but i'll be honest with you and we'll talk about this again at the end of the show but i'm really skeptical of any sort of line that has the Lions as favorites against anybody right now. So three-point home favorites in a game with a 54 implied team total. Kenny Galladay at 6.2K on DraftKings is going to be extremely popular as a wide receiver play. I think justifiably so, but people may have a little hesitation in terms of, well, the Lions are going to be ahead. They like to run the ball as it is. What type of targets will Galladay see in this spot? I mean, I think it's equally possible that the Lions are trailing and just have to feed Galladay, who should be in a great spot to start seeing 90% plus snaps. I mean, he saw 72% of snaps, then 83% of snaps. He, you know, continually getting healthier and healthier, had a full bye week to get right. And if he's 100% healthy in this spot, I mean, I think 10 targets is well within his range. Yeah, I definitely agree. And Kenny Galladay, I mean, this is just one of the best wide receivers in the NFL that you're getting at a 6,200 price tag. I just don't know why DraftKings hasn't increased his price. That's been his max uh, salary in all three of the games that he's played so far this season. And we should note that the Jags missed their top three best defensive players last week. Uh, Now it is only Wednesday at the time of recording. So we don't know if these players are going to be out again, but they're still their best players dealing with injuries. And if we get Matt Stafford uh, on the road in Jacksonville against a defense that is down you know, several key players. Uh, this could be an absolute smash spot for Kenny Galladay. And it's just a clear cut misprice, seven targets minimum in both games. And like you mentioned, he's on the field, he's running routes, increased snap share by week, just got him healthy, absolute lock in week six, uh, along with AJ Brown, in my opinion. So I'll be starting my lineups with those two guys. Yeah. I mean, after Brandon Cooks just torched them, I'm really eager to see what Kenny Galladay does. This week, hopefully fully healthy. And, you know, I think that in terms of ownership at wide receiver, things are going to change because we have some really up in the air spots right now, like DJ Chark and LaVishka Chenault are both in great spots against the Lions, but they're questionable, which, you know, if one or both of them were to miss Keelan Cole and Chris Conley would both probably just 
get a ton of ownership. Russell Gage and Julio are questionable, so might be some Zacchaeus action. You know, people hating themselves enough to go back to that at 3200 And I, I mean, Jeff Smith, Stillman, Price, Demir Bird, only 3500 Like, it's possible that one of these guys gets consolidated ownership throughout the week and becomes sort of like, you know, the talk of the DFS space and comes in at massive ownership and cash, but we'll just have to see on that in terms of the low price value guys that get popular throughout the week. But I, I think that, you know, one safe bet to be popular chalk will be Adam Thielen for sure. For sure. Right. Yep. I mean, and that's great chalk in my opinion. Yeah. Adam Thielen is probably one of, if not the best wide receiver play on the slate, him and Calvin Ridley. And I mean, we talk about it every single episode. I feel like the Atlanta passing defense is just absolutely horrible. They've given up the second most amount of yards to opposing wide receivers, the second most amount of catches. They're basically second in every category in terms of anything allowed to opposing wide receivers right behind the Seahawks. So this is a smash spot for Adam Thielen. And Adam Thielen has 44 targets on the season with a 31% target share. So this is just an elite usage wide receiver, Kirk Cousins wide receiver one, and he is a phenomenal play this week uh, at home against the Swiss cheese Falcons passing defense. Yeah, I mean, Justin Jefferson has, you know, been gaining respect, getting more playing time, and I think that he's a good option for tournaments if you want to, like, double stack Kirk with Thielen and Justin Jefferson, you know, maybe get some leverage off the Alexander Madison chalk, but it's pretty clear to me that Adam Thielen is still the clear-cut number one option, like you said, 31.6% market share of the team targets, and over the past three weeks since uh, Justin Jefferson's been emerging, Thielen still out-targeted him you know, by two, he's doubled up his targets, 28 to 14, six touchdowns through five weeks. Just, you know, just incredible numbers by Adam Thielen. So uh, love, love what we're seeing there. And he's great chalk at 7,300 and guys like Devonte Adams, Calvin Ridley, they're all in play. I guess we could just transition here into cash game lineup construction, right? I mean, are there any super chalky quarterbacks or tight ends that we need to hit on? I think it'll be pretty spread out personally. Yeah, I think uh, those two positions will have spread out ownership. Um, Kirk Cousins, if I had to take a guess, would be one of the higher owned quarterbacks on this slate just because all of his pass catchers and Madison are in place. So that's naturally going to have Kirk Cousins uh, gain more ownership uh, with that situation. So if I had to say Kirk Cousins is going to be the chalk quarterback, but tight end looks to be very spread out unless, you know, one of these lower salary guys is chalk and we can talk about that when we get to it. Yes. So in terms of cash game lineup construction, you know, I I was noting with Thielen, I mean, I think Allen Robinson, phenomenal play this week, Calvin Ridley as well, Devontae Adams, like they're all great plays, but the story has been the same in cash games for the past couple of weeks. And I think it remains true this week. It's, we just don't need to pay up to that range in cash games. You know, Kenny Galladay, 6,200 might be the highest we need to go. Jamison Crowder, 6.1K, Terry McLaurin, 5,700, AJ Brown, and then, you know, like four or five guys sub 5k that you could talk yourself into especially depending on how injuries develop throughout the week it's just clear cut this week you know you don't pay up at wide receiver i think that that's been true and i think it remains true yeah and i think there's an edge in uh finding that right construction this season and the right construction 
for cash games has been to target this mid-range of wide receivers that have large target shares in their respective offenses. So I think you're absolutely right that we don't go over, you know, 6,300 when we're picking our three wide receivers, especially like we talked about with Kenny Galladay. You can get him at 6,200. You can get AJ Brown at 5,600 and he's going to have a 30 plus percent target share. I mean, we got to mention Godius again, 5,400 at home against a Washington defense that just got absolutely torched by Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and Jared Goff. Now, I mean, Daniel Jones is not even comparable to Jared Goff in terms of talent, in my opinion, but Darius Slayton at 5,400, I mean... When are they gonna? When are they gonna price this man up like the goat wide receiver that he is? The what? What's not to love about Godius Slayton in Week Six? Besides, he is questionable. That's something to not love. But other than that, he's a standout play to me too. Absolutely. I mean, if you want to talk a little bit of Kyle Allen to Terry McLaurin to Godius Slayton stacks and tournaments, I'd be all about that. But yeah, I mean, that's the point though. You know, going back to what you're saying, it's like these wide receivers. It is an edge and we've seen it, you know, like the week that everybody paid up for Tyler Lockett and that completely bottomed out that construction. The same thing happened, I think, in week two when people chased the Devontae Adams week one blow up. And, you know, I think that he went out with an injury in that game. So maybe that was a little bit more results oriented than process there. But still, the point remains, it's like just spend up these running back positions and and you can find guys in the mid range at wide receiver who have good floors, but they also have good ceilings. It's not like we're settling Mm -hmm. for like, you know, 15 to 18 point ceilings with these lower priced cash receivers. Like AJ Brown could get 30. Kenny Galladay could get 30. Like these guys have legitimate wide receiver one ceilings as well as high target floors and good market shares of their targets. So I think that that remains the optimal cash game lineup construction at running back. I think that there are different ways you can go this week. I think that you should have at least probably one of Henry and Madison. I think a lot of constructions will have two of those guys, but Mike Davis, only 7K. I mean, truly, being damn near as good as Christian McCaffrey was in that role. I mean, we would smash Christian McCaffrey regardless of matchup at 7K, right? It wouldn't matter because of the type of usage he's getting. So Mike Davis, James Robinson, David Montgomery is going to be popular. Miles Gaskin at 5,400, Joey, getting, you know, elite target share and attempts. And Miami Mm -hmm. has the second highest implied team total on the slate. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can go, I think, and cash it running back. Yeah, I definitely agree, especially at that RB3 spot if you want to play Henry and Madison, but I don't think you have to play both. I think you could play one of those and go down to a guy like Miles Gaskins. And if the listeners follow me on Twitter, I posted a tweet about Gaskins a couple of days ago, and he's fourth in the NFL in receptions for running backs. He has a minimum of 13 touches in every single game this season, and he's 16th in terms of total touches, and he's the RB15 overall, and this is a guy that wasn't getting drafted in fantasy at all. He wasn't on anybody's radars, maybe like an 18th round best ball pick, but he's the Dolphins featured running back, and the Dolphins offense has surprisingly been playing really well, so I think Miles Gaskin is clearly in play at 5400 like I would be fine with playing him I think Montgomery's in play I mean Ronald Jones although we have talked a lot of on Ronald Jones he's been solid this year and he's had back-to-back two 100 yard games on the ground with Leonard Fournette 
hopefully going to be out in this matchup. I think you can go back to Ronald Jones at a flat 6K at home against the Packers, who are also one of the worst run defenses in the NFL, and they have been for the last two or three seasons now. There's just a lot of ways you can go. So I wouldn't subject yourself to, you know, two or three running backs in your cash pool. I think right now there's five to six cash viable running backs, and we mentioned them all for the listeners. So it's also a function of what we talked about with the Vegas notes. It's like, you know, the Chiefs, the the Cowboys, like some of these elite teams are off the slate. So we're not going to get a Zeke Elliott that like isn't a clear cut must play. Mm -hmm. at salary so i think that you know that's a function of being adaptive and then really pinpointing as the week develops and we get a clearer picture of like who the best plays are and they may not be the guys that you know you think of as being the clear-cut best plays on a given slate but like miles gaskin like that's going to be a guy that could be the best point per dollar running back play on the slate and we have to we have to be ready to embrace that if that's how the week ends up so that that's i guess where i'm at with running backs in terms of cash games right now i would encourage anybody who's listening to this to check out my cash pool article where i will you know write up all these players in depth on friday as more news comes out and that'll be a really accurate way to get into your building process for cash games how are you feeling about quarterback this week because right now i don't really have a strong feel in terms of cash games i think that it's kind of spread out nobody really stands out to me as a clear-cut amazing play at quarterback yeah i'm not too excited to play any of these quarterbacks in cash i think this is a week where you know it's going to come down to like the last half hour for me and i feel like this week i mean we touched on it it depends on some of the some of the injury news that we need to wait on and if some of these players are going to be out or not because say Zacchaeus or Chris Conley or Keelan Cole opens up and those are all relatively cheap wide receivers that will allow us extra salary maybe to pay up for a higher ceiling quarterback like Deshaun Watson but say those guys don't open up then we're looking at a guy like Matt Stafford at 6300 or Kirk Cousins at 6100 and I would even consider Ryan Fitzpatrick at 5900 I think all three of those guys will have ownership this week but I mean Ryan Fitzpatrick at 5900 he's he's looking pretty appetizing to me right now uh at home against the Jets and we know the Jets just can't stop anybody and he's had four straight games with over 25 points on DraftKings uh and he's been lighting it up so I I like Ryan Fitzpatrick a lot 5900 I agree and it will depend on how the value opens up on the slate and it'll depend on if we're looking in this tier of guys or if we're looking at the the Watson, Rodgers, even Lamar Jackson tier potentially. But, you know, with this mid 6K to high 5K range, like none of these guys I think are going to be a priority because they're all the pocket passing type quarterbacks. Like they aren't giving you that rushing upside. So what's the real difference between playing Matthew Stafford and Kirk Cousins? both in good matchups or playing Ryan Fitzpatrick in a good matchup for 200 less. Like to me, it'll be a lot about how the rest of the lineup looks. And you know, if I've got like three Vikings, maybe I I feel like I'll have enough exposure to Kirk Cousins and I'll just play Stafford or something like that. But as it stands right now, none of these guys are popping as a priority play for me. And, and we'll just have to see what type of salary range we end up with. It's not a week where I'm plugging quarterback in first. Let's just say that. It'll kind of depend on what salary I have left for it at the end of my build. Yeah, I just want to say one more thing. Uh, You brought up the rushing upside of your quarterbacks. The guy that you can get that with is Cam Newton at 6,500 at home against a Broncos defense 
that has lost uh, key players due to injury this year. Notable Von Miller is out for the season. So he has a very solid matchup coming back from the good old COVID. And, you know, at 6,500, I think Cam Newton is in play for cash this week, but he might not be chalky. So I would just uh, take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, definitely something uh, to think about there. Their total is dropping. It's down a, down a half point. It's weird. I saw them at 28 earlier and I'm like, oh, it was before Cam Newton came out. I'm like, oh, I guess Vegas already knows that he's going to be back in for this game. And then he gets announced in and they're implied team total starts dropping it's a little curious maybe uh vegas is more bullish on stidham than newton who knows <laughs> <laughs> this guy um big stidham guy here yeah coming from you um but yeah let's uh i guess at tight end somewhat similar i think to quarterback where it's not anybody that's going to be a high end priority but there are a couple guys at the absolute punt price range that are interesting in, in the mid-range as well. I mean, I mean, if salary weren't a concern, Jonu Smith would be a guy that I would love to play this week at 5,200. He's been getting targets. He's getting touchdowns, usage in the red zone, five touchdowns through four games, hasn't had a game under 11 points. And, and at 5,200, he's a pure value. And that might be one of the reasons that I get off Henry. Like I alluded it to it earlier, AJ Brown, Jonu Smith, if I'm playing both of these guys... I may not be playing Derrick Henry in, in my cash lineup, but John who's a guy in the mid range. I like as well as Robert Tanyan or any of these guys uh, floating your boat. Yeah, I like John a lot. I just don't know if I can go there, especially if you play Derrick Henry and AJ Brown. I don't think you want to play three Titans in your cash lineup, but if you don't play Henry, like you said, uh, you might not. Then I think John Smith is viable at 5,200. But if the listeners know one thing about me, I pay down at tight end because I'm not a donkey. Mm. And I think there are two clear-cut pay down options this week for 3,100 or under. The first guy, Trey Burton, 3,100 at home against the Bengals. Uh, he is the Colts starting tight end. He is the tight end one. Uh, so he came back from injury. He's been playing on 46% of the snaps. He's ran 38 routes in his two games back and has seen 11 targets in the two games back for an 18.3% target share. So I think Trey Burton is squarely in play in a good matchup against the Bengals. And then I think if you want, you can punt all the way down. Now, I don't know if this is more thin than Trey Burton, but Irv Smith Jr. is 2,500, the min price against the Atlanta Falcons, the worst team against tight ends in the NFL. They are the tight end flow chart for 2020. And Irv Smith is playing on 65% of snaps. He's ran 93 routes this year. He's running a route on 66% of Kirk Cousins dropbacks, but he only has 11 targets. He did see five targets last week against the Seahawks. So that's pretty encouraging, especially if they're focusing on getting him more targets for the rest of the season. But I think you play one of those two guys this week. I think, I think it's the week you just pay down all the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a donkey, but plays Adam Trout. I hey, guess. it worked Maybe. out, though. <laughs> yeah, I guess it did. And I'll be honest, man. I mean, while you were just talking, I was playing around with some lineup construction. Man, Irv Smith lets you fit some things. I'm just going to say <laughs> that. So it might be a vibe. And, and I think that between the two, I, I would heavily lean towards Irv Smith. I mean, my Burton, it just seems to me like if 
the DFS community as a whole comes together and decides that it's Trey Burton week and we play him like 30% owned in cash double ups and stuff. I mean, Mo Ali Cox just destined to go for two touchdowns, right? It would just be like written in the stars. <laughs> Mo Ali Cox is questionable and didn't practice on Wednesday. Oh. Oh, so man. it is a it is a bad start for uh, Mo Ali Cox's outlook for Week Six, and then he was already losing snaps. He was third in snaps in terms of tight ends, and has seen a decrease in targets over the last three weeks. So I don't have any concern with Mo Ali Cox. But if we do claim it as Trey Burn Week, I think there is probably a good chance that he scores zero points. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, if Mo Ali Cox is out, though, that that would give me a little more confidence in thinking that Trey Burton could see more than fifty percent of snaps for the first time this year, which would you know be be encouraging for. The I mean, he's coming off catch. injury. Got to give him some slack. Yeah. He's playing about fifty percent off injury, off what like a knee injury or or a leg injury or something. Mm. He's still traumatized from running the Philly special. Remember that gave him like PTSD. <laughs> I don't know about that one, but I, I swear, look it up. He had he has like PTSD about it, like and the the anxiety of living up to it. It's it's a whole thing. That's neither here nor there. If if you guys don't know that story, Google it. But I don't know. I think that's really all I've got for cash game construction at tight end. I mean, if you're going to be paying down Irv Smith or Trey Burton, if you're going to be paying to the mid range, I think it's either Janu Smith or Robert Tanyan who. I mean, yeah, he ran hot like the devil himself, getting three touchdowns on six receptions in that game against the Falcons in primetime. But even still, I mean, he has a clear uh, chemistry with Rodgers. Rodgers, you know, doesn't throw three touchdowns to one guy without it being a concerted effort. You know, they have a little bond going. And with really only Devontae Adams as the main target there, I think Tanyan could continue to be heavily involved in this offense going forward. Yeah, I think he'll be involved, but... With Devontae coming back, I think we have to temper expectations on Tanyan. Uh, Devontae Adams is the alpha in that offense is going and is going to command 10 plus targets on a weekly basis, which will lower uh, Tanyan's potential target share, in my opinion. So I think we just have to temper the expectations a little bit. That's fair. Let's get into our tournament strategy talk, leverage stacks, long shots, take it in any direction you'd like to. Yeah, so I think it's going to be an interesting week for tournaments. And and like I mentioned earlier in the show, like if you just make stands on guys, uh, I think this could be a very profitable week. And just the one game that I'm looking forward to playing the most in tournaments is just the Texans and Titans game. I think that is going to be one of the highest scoring games on the slate. Everybody's going to gravitate towards that Falcons and Vikings game. And then I also think the Lions and Jaguars game is going to get ownership. These players in the Tennessee game are going to be owned, but I think you can get the Houston side of the ball at very low ownership. So I love Watson. I love Will Fuller this week. I love Brandon Cooks this week. Uh, Maybe even include David Johnson in there because the Titans are one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. So I just love the the Texan side of the ball, and there is a lot of bringback options on the Titan side of the ball. So that's one of my favorite games to target uh, for this week in DFS, and I don't think the Texan side will garner much ownership. So yeah, I like that one as well for sure. I mean, you like the Texans every week. It seems like that's a fact. <laughs> I mean, they've just had great matchups every single week. They gotta snap one of these weeks, right? Like. 
It has to happen. You just keep on playing it. It's going to hit eventually. I mean, it hit last week, though. Watson to, Watson to Cooks. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that Will Fuller slate-breaking you know, game is coming pretty soon. We, we know it's going to happen at least once where he drops 40, 45, 50, and, and it could be this week. It really could against Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, Will Fuller has dropped nothing but 15-plus in every game that he's played in besides week two uh, where he got hurt, and he's been one of the best fantasy wide receivers this season. And like you said, he has slight breaking upside at only 6,800. And it you can pivot off, you know, a chalky guy, like Adam Thielen right down to Will Fuller for a $500 discount. So love him a lot this week in tournaments. Joey, I got one. I got got a stack that I think is going to be just completely overlooked. I mean, with two players and a bring back, this might have like 10% combined ownership. But I don't think we've mentioned players from either of these games and we're like 40 minutes into this thing. And this is a game with a total over 50. You, you know where I'm going with this? I think I have an idea. If I had to guess, I think it is the uh, the Browns and Steelers game. Yes, sir. A little bit of Big Ben, Juju Smith-Schuster, Odell Beckham action, or even a little bit of Kareem Hunt on the bring back could be. I don't know. But both the Steelers and the Browns are bottom five teams against stopping opposing wide receivers, Uh right? You know, I don't think that it's really caught on, especially with the Steelers. Like, people still think of them as a super elite defense. But, I mean, they are in the bottom five. They're just bleeding points to wide receivers. Odell Beckham is 6,400. I don't think anybody's going to be on that. Jarvis Landry mispractice could be increased target share for him there. They're already more likely to skew pass heavy with Nick Chubb out. I mean, I I love the idea of that. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger's been playing as well as he ever has. And there was a story today, Joey, came out of uh, the old Twitter streets from Pittsburgh talking about how the team is so happy with Juju Smith-Schuster, how he's being such a great guy, happy for all the young guys, very reminiscent of something that was said on this podcast, a theory of yours. And you know, typically it's the squeaky wheel narrative, right? Where, you know, the guy's whining, he's complaining, he's being loud, and then he gets the grease, you know, they look to him to make him feel better. Now, this is the opposite of the squeaky wheel narrative. This is like the well-greased wheel narrative, where it's like they're so happy with him that he's being such a great guy, being so happy for Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson getting all the looks that they're going to reward him for his for his solid teammate. And this is finally going to be the Juju Smith-Schuster week. I mean, how do you feel about this take? Because I think that this stack and this game is going to be completely overlooked. It is definitely going to be overlooked, and I 100% agree with you that this is one of the best games to target in tournaments on DraftKings. You literally read my mind because that was going to be the next thing that I brought up is this game, Um, especially since, like you said, not a lot of people know that the Steelers and Browns are bottom five uh, in terms of defense against opposing wide receivers. So this is a clear smash spot for Juju at 6,600. Now, how do you feel about running it back with Chase Claypool? Are we chasing points if we play him, or do we play Deontay Johnson at 4,900 if he's active, although he may be Will Fuller 2.0? Chase Claypool chasing points. I see what you did there. Um, No, that that is 100% chasing points. I, I would not go there at all. I mean, could it happen? Definitely. If Deontay Johnson's out, then it's a different type of story. And then I think we have to look at him at 5,200. But I mean, I think I would be more likely to try and go with Deontay Johnson, especially all the way down at 4,900. But, you know, the Steelers have been resting their receivers. So, you know, we're recording this 
super late on Wednesday. We don't know yet. Juju didn't practice. Deontay didn't practice. So who knows how this is going to play out. But I do think that no matter what, Juju Smith-Schuster at 6,600 will probably come in with the lowest ownership because of the price and because of the fact that he just hasn't produced yet. And I think that, you know, people were giving him the benefit of the doubt. I think, you know, coming into week six without one of those massive games, I think it's kind of, uh, you know, people have moved past him at this point. And that is the time to pounce on a player that we know has the talent to succeed. I mean, I definitely agree. The opportunity is there. He's seen five targets minimum in every game. And like you said, nobody's going to play him this week. And that is the time to go all in on Juju. Now, I don't know if I would if I would play him with Big Ben, especially with Big Ben being the fourth highest priced quarterback. But maybe you can stack the skill players in this game and go somewhere else with your quarterback. But if you want, I think Big Ben is viable uh, but I wouldn't play Baker Mayfield in, in a game stack with this, in my in my opinion. No, I mean definitely a path to the Steelers D line blowing you know any semblance of a shootout out, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Brown's offensive line's actually been playing pretty well this year. What else do you have for tournament strategy? Yeah, so just for tournaments, I think you get away from some of the chalkier guys. Uh, I said it last week, but I think this is a week where some of the best plays aren't going to be the highest owned plays. I think James Robinson at 6,800 low key hot take might be the best running back play on the slate period. Like at any price point at home against the Lions, a team that's giving up almost 170 yards per game on the ground, uh, no less than 15 touches and any single game so far this year. And he is one of the leading uh, backs in terms of receptions uh, in 2020. So James Robinson is a clear standout play. And what is he going to be, 10% owned? Come on, that that's great leverage off some of the chalkier guys above him. Um, and then like you mentioned, there there's just a lot of value at running back. So don't be afraid to play these cheaper guys uh, that are in great matchups and are getting opportunity. That's what I would tell the listeners yeah and 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 like i think alexander madison and derrick henry are super strong plays and both of the leverage off of them are going to be highly owned like if you wanted to go tennessee passing game like aj brown's going to be super chalky if you want to go minnesota passing game adam thielen's going to be super chalky but there's still ways to differentiate like if you just overload on the passing games you know you go kirk Mm -hmm. to like Thielen and Irv Smith or Kirk to Thielen and Justin Jefferson and fade Madison in that lineup. Like there's ways to get around the chalk and still find leverage off of these chalky running backs. And yeah, like we said during cash construction, there's so many viable running back plays that if, you know, we see these guys like Henry or Madison get up to 30, 35, 40% owned, then like, I think they make strong fades in tournaments this week. Yeah, I definitely agree, but I got burned by it last week, especially with Mike Davis. Um, I would advise playing some of these running backs in tournaments because they are the best plays on the slate. And in tournaments, you don't have to get too crazy and go off the wall. You can still make the best plays, although you do have to worry about your team's total ownership. You don't want to go over 150% in terms of cumulative ownership for your teams. So that's just something to keep an eye on. But you also want to play the best players uh, in the best matchups. And Derrick Henry and Madison are two examples of that. So, I mean, I would just limit uh, your exposure on on Derrick Henry and Madison, especially in in non-game stacks. But 
still play them. Yeah. You know, I don't know if this qualifies as a tournament long shot, but it's 6,100 right below Kenny Galladay. I think he's going to get overlooked, especially being a New York Jet. But we talked about it on our review podcast last week. I mean, Jamison Crowder, quietly one of the most valuable assets in fantasy football, no less than 10 targets in a single game, three straight games in every game that he's played over 100 yards. Dude, is he's got the second most fantasy points per game out of any wide receiver in the NFL right below Devontae Adams right now. I mean, he's completely Adam Gase proof. He's completely uh, quarterback proof. Doesn't matter if it's going to be Flacco or Sam Darnold. I think, you know, Jamison Crowder is no longer just a guy that we look at as somebody with a high floor. I think that he has access to a ceiling too. And if you're, you know, maybe doing something like a, a loose dolphin stack with, you know, Fitzpatrick and, Devontae Parker, I think Crowder makes a lot of sense or even, you know, less of a game stack, but just like a mini player stack, like a lineup with, you know, Gaskin, where you're projecting a Dolphins lead and and a lot of Crowder points on the comeback. I think that makes a lot of sense for tournaments, too. Yeah, I definitely like Crowder a lot, like you said, especially if you are stacking that Dolphins game or I should say the Dolphins side of the ball. But for me, I don't I don't think I really am too high on anybody right now in terms of like a tournament long shot i will say i do like deandre swift at 4500 uh in a matchup against the jags i think he is capable of getting you know four plus catches in this matchup and has some upside as a running back the only caveat obviously is they want to play Adrian Peterson but I think there has to be a point in time where they turn away from Adrian Peterson and I think that time is coming this week bold prediction it is the DeAndre Swift week I'm calling it right now that's that's a super long shot under one percent I mean, as a depressed Lions fan, I would love for that to be the case, but I just don't see DeAndre Swift, you know, being fantasy viable unless the Lions team bus like forgets to, you know, stop by the nursing home and pick up AP on the way to the game. (laughs) Yeah, but I, I think that AP, I think they're going to give him less touches moving forward. I mean, he only saw 11 against the Saints. And I think they're starting to realize that DeAndre Swift is probably their best running back and they need to get him the ball. He had eight touches in that game against the Saints, turned that into 15 points. And I mean, even though he hasn't really been getting any production, he's hit 10 plus points in every matchup except for week three against the Cardinals. Uh, and I believe he got hurt in that game, if I'm not mistaken, or he was dealing with an injury. So at 4,500, I'm willing to just, you know, throw away a lineup with him in it uh in a Lions and Jags stack I think the price tag is favorable and low key I think the Jags can control this game I know you mentioned it earlier but I think the Jags can come out and control this game through James Robinson uh which will bring Stafford into comeback mode with DeAndre Swift being the beneficiary of that positive game script for him so just a little 1%, like a little point zero one percenter for, for the people out there. Hey, I mean, sometimes you need them. If you if you had Chase Claypool as 0.0001% last <laughs> week, you made some money. Yeah, I think that's good. And we can transition right into our best 
bets of the week, Joey. Last week, we both hit on some underdog money lines. So shout out to us. Uh, What do you got for the people this week? Yeah, so it's been a solid start to the NFL season in terms of uh, sports betting. Only lost one game so far. And there is not much that I like for this week. But there there is one line that is sticking out to me right now. And that is the Panthers minus one and a half at home against the Chicago Bears. Not going to get too into it uh, because we want to keep this short. But the Chicago Bears are the worst four and one team in NFL history. And the Panthers have actually looked really, really good to start the season in their first five games going three and two. And I think this is just a spot where the Panthers will come out and dominate the Bears at home. And I think they'll easily win by two or more points. This is just a very low line and they're putting too much respect on the Chicago Bears that I'm not willing to give them just yet. So Panthers minus one and a half, only one pick standard uh, for the listeners. Hope they bet on it and win some money. Yeah, I mean, you're you're five for six on the year, so if they've been betting with you, they've been making some money. I mean, my percentage is a little bit less, uh, 63.6%, because, you know, I, I just, I like to throw a lot of bets out there. That's the, that's the kind of gambler I am. Probably not optimal, but when has that ever stopped us? I'm going with two more, <laughs> going with two more bets yet again. Uh, first off, going to be Green Bay minus one. I mean, Aaron Rodgers right now is playing in God mode, and Tom Brady just had a senior moment. I think that this is a little bit of a mismatch here, although Tampa Bay's defense is formidable, one of the better defenses in the NFL right now. Still, I think uh, Rodgers coming off a bye, playing the best he's played in a while, is just going to be too powerful to stop. Uh, if there was a bigger line, maybe I'd lean the, the Buck side, but with only minus one in favor of Green Bay, I think that they cover that for sure and win that game and then uh, I'm, I'm gonna get Jacksonville plus three I mean I've talked about it we've talked about it I think it's pretty realistic to see that the Jags uh, control this game at home I'm kind of surprised that they're underdogs at all against this Lions team I mean Matt Patricia should definitely be the next coach to go if it's not Adam Gase I mean I'm surprised that he hasn't already perhaps it's because of the transition in uh, you know, Ford family ownership right now. It's a whole mess in Detroit. But yeah, I mean, I think that this team is no no safe bet to come in well coached after a bye. I think that they could fumble this <laughs> easily to the Jags and lose this game. So if you're giving me Jacksonville at home plus three, I'm all about it. So that that's what I'm going to give the people today. I mean, a Lions fan betting against his own team, I think that equation... <laughs> I think that equation results in the Lions winning by 28 plus. Nah, so the, I know my team. So, <laughs> They're losing. <laughs> I mean, the Lions, you know, they, they've been a disappointing team over the last couple of seasons, although they have had a lot of talent, especially on their offense in recent years. They, they've just never seemed to put it together. So I, I like that bet. I think the Jags control that game as well. So, And I think that's going to be it for us this week. Hopefully you guys got some good information on the week six preview. We will be back to recap this entire slate, hopefully recap some W's that we end up with and uh, the listeners as well. Uh, You can follow us, like Joey said at the top of the show, on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as all of the podcast platforms where you can listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, 
we are everywhere. Subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, looking to continually grow that with unique videos each and every week, as well as podcast clips. You can also follow our individual Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R, Joey Tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Joey Carrion DFS. All right, boys, let's make some strong plays and sail to the money.